Welcome back to the Congregation 5 podcast. I am Matt Avery, and I'm here with another special guest today, Mr. Tom Markham. Greetings. Tom, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, my friend. Sure. How far back you want me to go? <laughs> Man, like, just give us a... I was born in Nashville, Tennessee, <laughs> 1992. Uh, loving parents. No, I... Um, I was born here in Nashville, and, that, and I guess being a native is a little bit part of my story, but uh, I moved back here after college and grad school in 2017, so I've been back here for about three years now, and um, started attending Midtown soon after that, so kind of in the, it's been two and a half, three years, and uh, now I'm part of the C5 movement yeah, that all are. the folks are talking about. What do you do for work now? I'm a teacher. I teach over at Montgomery Bell Academy. It's a all-boys, dead poet society, private school. Yes. And I teach English to sophomores and seniors, coach a little bit of soccer, and that's about it, yeah. So, Tom, you're not trying to do anything special in this pandemic season, are you? Definitely not. No, I um, am doing my best to try and write a novel. My fiance Caroline laid down the gauntlet to have me finish a draft of a novel as a wedding present to her. Wow. And our wedding is June 6th, so I've got a lot of writing to do. So, you know, if, if you consider writing a novel a kind of fun way to pass the time, then that's the way I'm trying to pass the time during quarantine. We also just got a new puppy. There we go. She's adorable. She's a miniature dachshund. Her name is Midge. <laughs> and uh, right now there's a lot of like competing interests. Like, do I take care of this dog who wants to sit on my lap at all times or do I sit down and write? And right now the dog is winning, but we've only had her a couple weeks. So You have brought shame and insecurity upon all grooms, all other grooms for their wedding presents to their <laughs> wives. So well, I didn't say it would that. be a good novel, so stay tuned. <laughs> I want to tell you guys that Tom is one of my favorite people to talk music with, and uh, he's also one of my favorite people to bounce band names back and forth off of, and uh, Tom actually thought of one oh, a couple of weeks ago uh, when I was telling people, man, this was a weird Easter, and I thought, weird Easter? Weird Easter. The great, like, I, like yeah, I see them being sort of like a an emo, mm -hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Sort of like, like with a little bit of a folksy um, <laughs> tinge to them. Yeah. But it's very dark folk. Like very, it's not happy. Yeah. 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 Weird Easter. I'll write that one down. Okay. There you go, man. Well, hey, we are here this week to uh, kind of pick up where we left off last week. Last week, we talked about um, how there are men and women who are seeking God. They want to know God. They want to understand how to find him and how to live. And we also talked about how God is sending his people as answers to those prayers, that he will send each one of us into the lives of specific men and women to answer their prayer, to show them and tell them who Jesus is and walk alongside them to help them find who this Jesus is. And so today, we are going to put some handholds to that, and we're going to talk a little bit about the how. And so we've, we've got a passage in Acts 13 that we're just going to be skimming over. But really what we're going to be talking about is the need to put the story of Jesus, who he is and what he did in the context 
of the big story of Scripture, the big story of human history. And so today we're going to talk about what is that story, making sure that we're on the same page of what that story is, and also how do we take that story, the story, and engage that story with other people's stories that we encounter. Tom, what do you think about where we're going? That sounds great. Yeah, I heard the word story a lot in that intro, and I think you kind of hit the nail on the head. Maybe it's just my like English teacher thinking, but the idea of a narrative, I think, is something that's really important in how we understand ourselves and like our place in the world, and I'm sure we'll get into that. But yeah, the, the way that we tell ourselves stories or want to believe in a certain story, I think that that's kind of what we're all doing inside our own minds. And so when we engage with others and try and share the true story with them, it's you know important to listen and understand what story they're already telling themselves because that's kind of how our brains work is, is narratively. Man, that's so good. So Tom, I want to ask you as we get started, can you share what are a couple of your favorite stories Stories from any the gospel. <laughs> Good answer, Thank Tom. You. Thank you, man. That's why you're here today. We, we <laughs> it's um, it's a lot of fun to, especially in my senior class. Uh, I get to teach some of my favorite books ever. Right now, we're reading The Great Gatsby, which mm. is kind of the low hanging fruit, easy answer. But like every spring, we read it, and every time, I'm just like, wow, like this is mm. excellently written. Just the kind of writing that I aspire to. So I love that. Um, one of my all-time favorites is a book called All the King's Men by Robert Penn Warren, mm. another Nashville writer. I think I'm drawn to stories uh, where people are searching for an answer. Mm-hmm. Um, it may not even necessarily be the big answer to the life question, but in you know The Great Gatsby, you have someone who's searching for an answer and thinking that that answer is in material wealth or in All the King's Men, the main character, tries to avoid finding the answer. Like He goes out of his way to sort of take up a career as like a political henchman um, and sort of absolve himself of any responsibility for his actions only to find <laughs> that doesn't work out. That sort of sense of striving and searching is a story I'm really drawn to and when you kind of boil down a lot of stories, that's what most end up being about. Tolstoy, the kind of great Russian writer, said, and this is taken out of context, but like the famous quote is, he, he said, you know, there's only uh, two types of stories. A man goes on a journey or a stranger comes to town. Mm. And I think that while I don't know if I you know, necessarily agree with that exact sort of formula, I do think there's some truth to that there's a commonality across all stories mm-hmm. that we read, that we tell ourselves. Yeah. Yes. I agree with that. Actually, a book that opened my eyes a lot was written by a man who, to my knowledge, is not a Christian, but he says that of all this research he's done from the beginning of time, from the beginning of the time people began to hand down narratives through just telling stories around a fire before it was even written down, and then our earliest stories that we have written down. In his opinion, there are seven basic plots that the human mind Mm -hmm. cannot escape from. And in all of those plots they all boil down to this story, which really mirrors, it's the only story we know. It's the story. Right. So that's a, a good good jumping off point for us. So let's get into the passage first. A little setup. This passage is is one of many passages in Acts where Peter and or Paul are sharing the gospel with people, but they always do the same thing. It's always contextualized to their audience, but they always put the gospel in the context of a bigger story. And so here we find 
Paul doing that with a group of Jewish people. So we're in Acts 13. Um, I would encourage you to, to read the, the whole chapter here if you want to, but uh, we're going to be looking at verses 15, 38, and 39, and then 42. And so I'll read that for us. After the reading from the law and the prophets, Paul and his people were in a synagogue in Antioch. The rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. And so Paul shares the story of Scripture, and then this description of the gospel is uh, just beautiful in verses 38 and 39. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. And so for us, I want us to think about that in the context of everyone who believes in him is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by all the other places you are looking for freedom. And then it says in verse 42, as they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. So that is our jumping off point, is that when we are able to share the story uh, in the power of the Holy Spirit that people, Lord willing, are going to be drawn to Jesus and they are going to want to hear more. <laughs> so, Tom, let's start with what is the story? What is the big story of Scripture? And the way that we want to look at that today is as helpful by people who are a lot more brilliant than than I am. Uh, they've chopped the big story of Scripture up into four chapters creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. So we'll just spend a little time talking through those chapters. Let's start with creation. Tom, tell me about creation. What are we talking about there? I mean, I think from a very literal standpoint, we're talking about the beginning of Scripture and also the beginning of time, (laughs) kind of the origin story of all things. And in kind of great literature, I feel like there's always some kind of origin story that explains a kind of existence prior to when the conflict arises. And so, you know, for me, when I hear creation, I think of the garden and I think of Adam and Eve. And it's the reminder that like there is like an ideal form. There is some ideal existence that we're striving toward. Like there was a point where God and man were in good, perfect communion with each other and it was good Mm -hmm. and man kind of was attuned to his purpose and there was harmony and and all of these great things that you i think that we all kind of underlyingly want so yeah creation is that kind of reminder that there is a good ideal like existence that we can yearn for and that in the context of scripture it involves you know being one with our creator yeah we love origin stories And this is our origin story. And by our, I mean the whole of humanity. Right. Okay. So then we move into chapter two, which is the fall. And it's this idea that God has said, in order for this to work, in order for us to live in harmony, I have to be God. And this is actually a gift to you that I'm God and that you're not. And so in order for me to establish this, this is where we have the infamous story of Adam and Eve eating from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so when they are deceived by the evil one and they desire to be like God in ways that they were not made to be like God, and they wanted to push God off the throne and sit on the throne and try it out for themselves, that's the fall. And that set into motion all of the things that we are so uncomfortable with that we're 
things were not supposed to be like this. Decay and death and disease and sin and hurt and pain and suffering, all of this has been ushered in by our rebellion against God in the fall. But very quickly, you know, in the story of Scripture, creation, we find in the first two chapters of Genesis, the fall comes immediately thereafter in the third chapter of Genesis. We didn't make it very far. And then staying in the third chapter of Genesis begins chapter three, which is redemption. So, Tom, give give us some thoughts on redemption. Yeah, I mean, I think that the important thing about redemption in the context of the fall is, well, two things. One, the fall, I have to be reminded in ways that I often don't want that like I am the perpetrator, like I specifically. It's not something that Adam and Eve did that ruined it for the rest of us, you know? It's like an ongoing fallenness. But that our creator does not punish us by letting us just sort of sit there and think about what we've done. He is moving immediately to uh, Mm. bring us back to him. And this is, of course, most apparent during the Easter season that we just kind of finished celebrating and Mm -hmm. marveling that sense of like Peter does in Luke 24 of just marveling at what had happened and, and what happened was the act of redemption, the act of God's love being so powerful that like he breaks free from the tomb in order to not only correct our fall, but like to erase it totally, Mm. bring restoration to that kind of ideal existence that we once had in creation. And um, we were talking about this in in our small group last night, that idea that in the Lord's redemption, there is nothing that is irreversible, Mm. like not Mm -hmm. even death. The worst thing that I could possibly do, (laughs) you know, when I really have to sit and wallow and be humbled by my own brokenness, like that too is reversible and yes. and is reversed and has been reversed by the risen Christ. And yeah, that idea stuck with me. So shout out to Hugh Dillon for, for <laughs> dropping that knowledge. We love Hugh Dillon and his knowledge. Yeah, that's so well said, man. And in this redemption, we live in this tension that, you know, I love Sally Lloyd-Jones, the Jesus Storybook Bible, the prologue to that. She writes that the Bible is not just a collection of stories. It's one big story. And mm-hmm. she t- says that really it's a story about a hero who's come to save his beloved. And that's this story of redemption that starting in Genesis 3, God has been working out a plan through all of human history, even before human history, to send a redeemer for us, his sons and daughters. But now we live in this tension. And chapter 3 is where we find ourselves. We are redeemed and we are being redeemed and the world is being redeemed, but there's still sin, there's still death. And so we live in this tension and that gets us to chapter 4, which is this beautiful conclusion that restoration, that all things will be made new. They won't only be put back to the way that they were at creation. They will actually exceed the fruitfulness and beauty and flourishing of creation. And that is where we will dwell with God in perfection forever. And so that is the story. That is the story of human history, creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. And so what I want to talk about now is how this story, whatever story we live out of, whatever big, you can hear the the words meta-narrative or worldview, whatever big framework that we live out of tells us what to believe about things. That story tells us what to believe about God, about humanity, about suffering, morality, good and evil, about where to find life, where to put our hope, who our Savior is or what our Savior is, what to fear, who our enemy is, 
What is my purpose? Why am I here? So all of these are these big, we'll call these beliefs, these big beliefs. And so the story that we live out of, the framework that we live out of informs us and, and gives us our beliefs. And then our, our beliefs lead to how we live. I respond to my daily life and circumstances and the interactions I have with people out of my beliefs. And that's what gives me my feelings and my fears and my desires and my frustrations. Tom, talk to me a little bit about, let's just take something specific here and say, how does you living out of this story inform you about where to find life? That's maybe different from people that you, coworkers and neighbors who don't live out of this story. Yeah. I mean, there's lots, <laughs> ideally, uh, because it informs all things about me. But I'll tell you that the thing that came to mind as I was reflecting on this passage was you just mentioned Sally Lloyd-Jones' quote about the Jesus Storybook Bible and how Jesus is the hero uh, of that story. And I think that's exactly it, is that in most sort of world narratives, worldly cultural narratives, like I am the hero of my story. And that presents a lot of complications for trying to live a like good, harmonious, obstacle-free life. Because when I'm the hero, I have to make it all happen. When mm -hmm. I'm the hero, I also, in most sort of hero's journey type narratives, they aren't usually doing villainous things. Like they, they, <laughs> they are the ones that, you know, uh, are beset by obstacles or conflicts and complications and they have to overcome them, uh -huh. right? And so the hero is never the bad guy in his own story. And I think that just simply isn't true. Like, I think we know that about ourselves. And if, even if we don't want to admit it. Got to do um, a lot of editing when I'm the hero. Of the yeah, story. exactly. <laughs> a lot of yeah. redacting. Well, yeah. you do a lot of mental gymnastics to sort of realize like how exhausting it is just to try and make yourself the hero at all times. I think that that is sort of the starting point for how I try to, uh, with varying degrees of success, but try to remember the starting point of my own narrative. Mm -hmm. And to use like an English teacher example, I, did you ever diagram sentences? Oh, yes. Okay. When I teach diagramming sentences, you know, you have what I tell my students is the essential core of the sentence, the subject and the verb, right? Mm -hmm. Matt speaks. And like all the other stuff in the sentence, you know, in Stephen's recording studio, in his basement, Matt speaks about this passage in the Bible, right? And there's all this sort of stuff that helps kind of color the sentence and give it all sorts of additional information. But the essential core of the sentence is Matt speaks, right? And everything else kind of flows out of that. And I think that's a kind of a handy analogy mm. for the way we understand our stories too. It's like, what is the essential core? Like mm. if you boil everything down to, you know, one little nugget out of which flows everything else. It can be John 3.16. It can be, you know, something yeah. from scripture. But for the purposes of this conversation, for me, it's Jesus is the hero. It's not me. And when having a conversation with someone who may not believe that or understand how that could be true, I mean, that it, it takes a lot of work to get to a point where you realize you don't want to be the hero uh, of your own story. But that does change things a lot. Like that's kind of a fundamental difference between I think what we believe and what we want to share with people who don't kind of have that fundamental understanding of their own stories. And, and I love what you said there about how, you know, the importance of this story and knowing this story is not just for the sake of other people that we encounter, it's for ourselves because there are so many competing narratives, so many competing stories out there in the story marketplace. And I'm even busy writing a bunch of them myself. 
I'm writing stories that aren't true about, uh, that are in conflict with the story every day. And so it is so important to go back to the story and let that be our anchor amid a sea of ever-changing, infinite numbers of stories out there in our lives. That's a good transition point for us. So think with us, people out there, about this movement of our story or our framework that we live out of gives us our beliefs about ultimate things, God, man, good and evil, et cetera, where to find life. So story gives us our beliefs, which leads to what I'll call life on the streets, our everyday living, the way that we experience the world, the way that we experience ourselves, the way that we experience other people. So now that we know that, I want to move into how do we engage other stories with the story. If we're going to move into men and women's lives, real life for specific individuals with the story, and we are hoping to bring them Jesus in this story for them to live out of and find themselves in this story now instead of this other story that they've kind of duct taped and pieced together from culture and their own upbringing and all these different places where they've heard somebody talk about God one time and they said this, and now you know, we're just duct taping all this stuff together. Here's something that we need to remember at the beginning of this process is any story other than the story as it's told in scripture will not hang together seamlessly. It will contradict itself in places because it is the truth. It is the only truth is the story. So any other story that diverts in any way from the story will have places of incongruence. And those are actually really great gifts for us as we encounter people because those places of incongruence are places where we can say, point that out in a loving way as God gives us opportunities and present them an alternative of the story that does hang together in those places. So so let's transition now to thinking about how do we engage other stories with the story? Tom, what's what's been your experience with people in your life bringing bringing your story to people on the streets? I'll raise my hand to be the first to admit that like the word evangelism scares me. Uh, and and <laughs> one thing that I've enjoyed over the past few months of of Congregation Five getting together is uh, really unpacking that word and, and sort mm-hmm. of taking away the sort of scary connotations and the kind of weird cultural hangups that uh, exist alongside the word evangelism. And what I've come to realize is that like I've actually been doing through the Holy Spirit, been put in a lot of places to do evangelism, you know, and they aren't like standing on a milk carton on the corner of the street, shouting at passersby. Anymore. At at least not right now. Yeah. Yeah, Maybe someday. That's where I first met Tom was on a milk carton. We were on opposite ends of the street, both (laughs) both standing on our own milk carton. We said, hey, we'll we'll do better if we Let's join forces. (laughs) But a couple things. I was um, struck by this passage, the way that Paul delivers uh, his sort of long story to the people in Antioch, which very cool that Paul made his way all the way to suburban Nashville. But um, (laughs) thank you. Thank you for laughing at that (laughs) terrible joke. (laughs) When Paul starts to tell the story, the first thing we see is that, first of all, the people uh, in the synagogue ask him to. So he is sort of invited into that. Mm -hmm. Um, He doesn't sort of like elbow his way in and say like, listen up people, I got something to say, right? They ask him for advice, a word of encouragement. And so it's a two-way street, a relational sort of uh, give and take. And then then beyond that, if you go and and kind of read the rest of chapter 13, uh, particularly that section where he is telling the story all through scripture, 
He is telling it in a specifically like Israelite oriented context. This mm-hmm. is a this is a crowd of uh, Jews in a synagogue, uh, and and I suspect that he would tell this story a little bit differently if it was to a room full of Gentiles. And so I think that that context is important, right? That understanding and reading the room is one way to sort of make the the conversation a little bit less scary and make the person that you're having a conversation with a little bit more open to listening. Well, and if I can jump in there, yeah. yes. And it's it's a way to love them. Right. Because I am paying attention to you as a person, not as this blank number of you're just another being that I'm doing the same thing with or doing something to. You're mm-hmm. a person that I have a relationship with. That relationship could only have lasted five minutes, but I love you. And that's why I'm sharing this story with you because I love you. But it also makes it clear because this story is so big that it is so helpful if I can hear from you, what are the things that you are concerned about? What is your background knowledge? What are you worrying or thinking a lot about? And if I can tell the story in the context of the knowledge that you have with words that you understand and identify with, that's going to make the story of Jesus much more clear to you. Yeah, absolutely. And I and I think it's important in those moments also to remember my own encounters with the gospel and the way that Jesus grabbed a hold of me. I mean, I was raised in the church, but, you know, like I think most of us sort of had some kind of awakening moment where my relationship with Christ became my own, Mm -hmm. you know, instead of my family's or my culture's or whatever. And I remember back to that and what was kind of going on in my heart. And it was a sense of yearning and like hurting and longing, (laughs) that sort of underlying subconscious, like something is off, something is missing. I think that a lot of times, just because of the sort of cultural hangups around the concept of evangelism, we inter- well, I'll use I statements. I interpret that <laughs> for, you. I interpret that word to mean that I have to go like correct somebody. Mm-hmm. Say like, this is why the way you see the world is wrong. And let me fix that for you. And those things are true. I mean, that that's not an incorrect statement, but it's also not a helpful statement when you're uh, interacting with someone. Like mm-hmm. no one wants to be told, Dude, the way you're living is so wrong, and like I've got the I've got the answer for you. Um, yeah, here's how you can be like me. Yeah, exactly. Like so, instead of thinking about someone who is lost or wandering or searching as being needing of correction, think about them as someone who like is hurting and searching and lost and wants answers, right? And yeah. wants to be heard too. Yeah, um, it's going back to that the passage of hey, if you have a word of encouragement, please give it to us. You know, just so many people yeah. in our lives are saying that very thing through many different words. But, hey, Tom, if you have any word of encouragement to speak into my life, man, I could really use it. And then we come, and again, this is the prayer, one of the prayers that I pray for us, myself included, is that God would continue to change and transform our hearts to where it would be our joy to share this message of freedom that could free people from everything from which their other saviors can't free them from. And so I want to jump in, going back to this progression that we have of story leads to beliefs, beliefs to life on the streets. When we're engaging with people, usually, not always, it's going to work backwards. We're meeting people where they're living life on the streets, and then we can go from there to find out what they believe about things and then speak into a story of where those beliefs come from. And so, you know, a lot of conversations that I've had with friends and, and people that I've just met recently 
kind of go like this. You know, they're sharing about something, man, this is really hard. This is really bothering me, et cetera, and say, okay, yeah, well, tell me why that bothers you. And then when you start asking those questions about why, why do you feel like that? Well, because this is my identity. Oh, really? That's interesting. Who told you that this was your identity? You know, where does that belief come from? And then a lot of times they'll say, you know, I don't know. Or they'll say, that's just the way it is or something. And now all of a sudden we're talking about, we're talking story level. And a really cool thing is that a lot of times as God is giving opportunities, they will turn and as you're curious about their feelings and thoughts being tied to beliefs and then those beliefs, where do those come from? Then usually what will happen is they'll turn and say, well, what do you think about this? You know, what are your beliefs on this? And then it's just great opportunity to just share the story. I don't know if you've experienced that in that way. Yeah, I have. I mean, it shows up in a couple of different ways. I think making sure that I am sort of cognizant of the the context in which I'm interacting with this person or these people. Um, so, for example, I lead a Bible study uh, at my school uh, for a group of sophomore guys, right? And this school year before we dispersed because of the pandemic, uh, we were going through Galatians over the course of the year. And that book can seem pretty detached from like a sophomore in high school at a <laughs> private school in Nashville upon first read. You know, we're talking about really obeying, circumcision. Yeah, yeah. Obeying Jewish dietary law and all that. And and it's who, not it's not keeping sophomores up at night. Apparently not. Okay. I, I don't know. You know, so understanding how those issues that Paul is addressing uh still relate to them. And it might mm. be, you know, uh they're on, they made the baseball team. Um, but the seniors don't make them feel fully welcome as part of the team, you know, stuff like that. That's the same idea. So remembering that context and um, remembering, too, that the term safe space gets thrown around a lot, but that is what we offer uh, mm-hmm. when we come to an interaction with someone is mm-hmm. safety, right? That's what they're looking yeah. for. And more often than not, I find that if I have a conversation with a friend, usually they're first and foremost is coming to me to vent or just to kind of dump out these words because they, mm-hmm. they don't know what to do with them in their own minds, right? And I'm certainly guilty of that as well, of just needing to like say it to someone. And so a lot of times establishing that safe space is like just listening or like you said, Matt, yeah. asking questions, like not coming prepared with my like bullet points yes. of like, here's what I'm going to say to this person to get them to believe. Yeah, um, man. If I can interject, yeah. I just... I love that because the way we talk about this for the sake of having this conversation and covering this stuff, um, sometimes all of this does happen in one conversation, Right. but many times it does not. (laughs) Many times we can have several conversations where we are just listening and we don't say a word, we don't ask a question. And that's where, you know, being sensitive to the Holy Spirit and like uh, several of the, the stories that we've already covered in these podcasts. God is, to your point, he is not going to tell us everything that we need to say. To go in with bullet points is pointless because he's calling us to just go and engage and then to continue to depend on him because he's going to lead us as he wants to lead us. And we're not going to know where we need to to go or where the conversation needs to go before we engage in it. I totally agree. And and one of my big fears in evangelism, but I use that word now in the context we're talking about of just, you know, having organic, real conversations with people is, and I know we've discussed this in our Congregation 5 groups, but 
I have a real fear of like the counter argument mm-hmm. of like, am I theologically prepared enough to to share this information with someone? You mm-hmm. know, like, do I have all the verses lined up and memorized and everything? And as I was reading and reflecting on Acts 13 and and preparing for this discussion with you, Matt, it, it sort of it sort of dawned on me. Um, since we're talking about the story, right, the four part story that you highlighted earlier, if I belong to Jesus and if I know Him then I know the story mm-hmm. and I know what I need to know mm-hmm. to share with someone. I mean, yes, having a great deep knowledge of scripture is wonderful and enriches our own life and the lives of the people that we share it with, but that's all the training we need. And by sheer virtue of the fact that we already know and belong to Christ, then we are trained and that's all it takes. Yes. I'm so glad you said that because a, a few thoughts there. One is just like in this passage that we read today, the people were begging them to come back and share more. Right. So it opens the door. You don't feel like you have to answer all the questions right now or ever um, because that allows you to say, man, that's a great question. Let's think about it and come back and talk about it some more. Another thing that's beautiful about that is it allows you a, an avenue to point them to scripture, mm-hmm. <laughs> to point them to Jesus and say, well, let's look at this together because if I have an answer to everything, then I'm presenting myself in a false way that I am that I am Jesus, right? And yeah. I'm not. I don't have it all together. I need Jesus, and I believe in Him, but I don't have all the answers. You know. And the last thing I want to say before we we close our time here is, again, this is not just for people out there. This is for us. The way that we work from life on the street back to beliefs, back to the story is the way that brothers and sisters in Christ encourage each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so when you and I have a conversation and you're telling me about how rough things have been, or I'm telling you that I'm really struggling with something, you're going to hear me talk about that in a way that's going to tick off to you. Um, you know, right now, Matt is not believing the truth and say, you know, Matt, why do you feel like that? And I can share and you can highlight, hey, man, you know, I just want to remind you, that's not the truth. You know, this isn't where your identity comes from. So again, knowing this story and engaging this story with false stories is not just us moving out into the world for people that don't know Jesus. It's us moving into each other's world as the body of Christ. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Well, Tom, thank you so much, man. It's a pleasure. Yeah. Thanks for having me. As always, love hanging with you. I appreciate you coming and uh, I'm going to pray for us. Okay. Father, uh, Again, thank you, Lord. Thank you for giving us uh, such an amazing, beautiful, (laughs) brilliant story to live out of and to be a part of. Thank you that we're not the hero. Um, Father, I pray that you continue to expose our false narratives that we try to tack on to the story or edits that we try to make um, that actually lead us away from life and use us and each other's lives to bring us back to living out of the story, living out of your story. And Father, again, just pray that it would be our joy to move into the lives of others um, who do not yet know you and uh, with your story and continue to teach us how to engage other people with this good news, the story that contains the good news of Jesus that uh, will set all of us free from all the things from which we could not be set free from by all of our other potential saviors. And so we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Like you got nothing left. Like there's nothing.